You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. We'll be reading from Jeremiah 29, verse 4 to 14. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on his behalf, for in his welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets or your, and your diviners who are among you deceive you. And do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you. And I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and I come and pray to you and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and, and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. This is the word of the Lord. Church, let's pray together. Father, you are all we need. We thank you that you have provided everything we need for life in this world. Thank you for your spirit poured out upon us, bringing us from death to life. Thank you for the provision of your word, showing us how we might live. Thank you most of all for your son, Jesus, who lived and died and rose again. Lord, help us to follow him with all of our hearts, with joy and endurance and perseverance all the days of our lives. We pray that you'd give us wisdom and insight as we sit together under your word this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. City on Hill, why don't you take a seat, please? Uh, my name is Ben. I'm on staff. Hey, I'm on staff here at Melbourne. I am stepping in for Guy today. Guy has had a big couple of weeks, hasn't he? Uh, and so I'm here to preach so Guy can have a rest. He'll be back next week. But can we put our hands together just to uh, honour him for the way that you've led us these past couple of weeks with grace and poise. I'm so thankful to God for your leadership, Guy. Thank you. Uh, we are looking today at the end of our series on left and right. Well done. You should put your hands together for yourselves. We're making it through left and right. Uh, we had a, a little detour last week, but all up we've had 11 weeks wrestling with these big culture, society shaping issues. Uh, and I don't know if you felt this, but every week I have felt the challenge. Two challenges, really. There's been the, the mental challenge of wrestling with things that, honestly, before I came to church that day, some of them I just didn't know that much about. And then there was the living challenge. This one was harder, right? What do I do with this? What do I need to reevaluate in my life? What do I need to start doing? What do I need to stop doing? Relieved when there are things that I can keep doing in light of these topics? Week after week of political and social issues, and issues that don't just sit out there 
in the intellectual realm. Now, these have been deeply personal for us. Transgender rights, men and women, climate change and, and refugees, they are deeply personal for us. We've got skin in the game on some of these. And so it has been a big few weeks. And as a church, we've been trying to listen uh, to what God says on these issues. He has things to say in this political age. And, and as we've gone through, we've had that call ringing in our ears from the first week, Tim Costello speaking to Guy. This is what he said. Don't go left. Don't go right. Go deeper and go deeper into Jesus. That is what we have sought to do. But what now? What do we do? How, how do we live in light of these 11 weeks, knowing where we are in Melbourne in 2022 with all that's bubbling up around us? The big question is, how do we be the people of God together now? And to help us look forward with that question in mind, we're going to start by looking backwards, a, a long way backwards to a tale of two cities Back further even than Dickens, we're in the 5th century AD. We're in Rome, in the Eternal City, so-called because people thought Rome could never fall. It was a city at the proud, beating heart of a vast empire, already by this stage, a thousand years old. But in the year 410, the Vandals swept down from Central Europe, modern-day Poland. King Alaric is at their head. And they sack the city of Rome. They turn it upside down. They destroy it. This was a crisis they had never experienced. And tremors rock the empire. And soon after, questions start to reverberate around the empire. Why did this happen? How could this happen? And who's to blame for this? And the finger of blame starts pointing to the Christians. They were the ones that hadn't been loyal enough to the empire. They were loyal to Jesus, not to the emperor. And they had abandoned the ancient pagan gods. Maybe that's why this failure came. Or maybe actually it was their God's fault because he hadn't protected Rome. And so at this pivotal moment in history, all these questions are swirling around. Augustine, a North African monk, a bishop, and theologian par excellence, he writes his tome, The City of God, in 413. And it is a massive book that still has a profound influence on us. He works through the scriptures to show this storyline of two cities, two kingdoms that exist within our world, an earthly city and a heavenly city. And these cities are founded on different foundations. They're shaped and committed to different loves. Augustine wrote, the one city began with the love of God. The other had its beginnings in the love of self. And so these two cities had very different trajectories. One is divine and its citizens will live in eternity with God. The other is earthly and its citizens with that city will be destroyed and condemned to hell. And yet for a time, Augustine says, they overlap. They exist together, these two cities. And the Christian finds himself caught between them. A citizen in that heavenly city to come, but living resident in the earthly city 
that we find ourselves in today. You know, he starts with Rome in mind, but really the city comes to represent any society of human beings together. And so for us, that's Melbourne. And we've seen through this left and right series, haven't we, that, that Jesus has things to say about life in our city, in this earthly city. He cares deeply about this city. He cares about the way we order ourselves. He cares about the values that we live with. He cares about the way we relate to one another. And so Augustine in this city of God wrestles with the relationship between these two cities, between Christ and culture. And what he does is give us a a guide, a framework. It's a Bible framework, really, to help us with the big question we have today. How do we live now in this city? That's the question he's answering. And here we have two observations for this morning. Uh, The first one is this. We are exiles living for the good of this city. And now I should remind you that we have Q&A, an extended Q&A. So if you've got questions from this morning's sermon or questions uh, from the whole series, Guy and Steph and I will be up here in a little while helping answer them. We're living for the good of this city. Uh, Here's an image of Sky Farm. Sounds very dramatic, doesn't it? Uh, This is down near the convention center on the river. It is a sustainability project converting a rooftop car park into an urban farm. Uh, complete with orchard and honey producing beehives. And when it opens, the plan is that this oasis in the heart of Melbourne will provide five tons of produce, most of which will be donated to Oz Harvest to help provide food for people in need and healthy meals. I love this kind of thing for lots of reasons, but mostly because it's a little hub in the heart of the city that seeks to do something good, to give something back to the city. I also love it because it's a neat sermon illustration. It's a picture of the way that we, City on a Hill, can be good for the city around us. Not that we'll sell our office and convert it to a farm, but that we would be fruitful, generous, as a group of people, good for the city around us. It ties in with the vision God has for his people that we read with Rory and Jeremiah. Jeremiah is writing after Jerusalem has been conquered and the Israelites have been carried off into exile into Babylon. They're devastated. They're far from home. They're living in a foreign city and they're asking the same questions. Uh, What do we do? How do we live in this city? And here is what God says to them. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Really clear instructions to Israel, right? Now, for the rest of the Bible, the the writers will often use Babylon as an archetypal city, opposed, contrasting with God and, and his people and his purposes for this earth. Augustine says it's the archetypal earthly city contrasting to God's city. At first, 
Jerusalem, and then by the end of the Bible, it's, it's the new Jerusalem, the new heavenly city. And so what we can do is take these instructions and use them to help us, right? Because remember, we're called exiles. Do you remember all the way back in 1 Peter? This is how Peter addresses his readers to those who are elect exiles. That's us. So what do we do as exiles in this city, Christians? We, we build houses. We plant gardens. In other words, we put down roots. We be involved in the life of the city. Work hard at our jobs. Go to school. Be good neighbors. Seek its welfare. Now, we've had a, a wave of information and challenge washing over us these past 11 weeks with all of the, the subjects that we've looked at. And sometimes that might have felt a bit overwhelming. One week to the next, moving on so quickly from one big issue to another. So now we're at the end. We can breathe a little bit. And we can ask ourselves, of, of all of the issues that we've looked at, what was the one that most resonated with you? What was the one that really pulled your heartstrings? If one of us tries to be involved in all of these areas, it might kill us, right? There is a lot. But if all of us got involved in one of these issues, different ones for each of us, well, that'd be sustainable, wouldn't it? That'd be something we could manage. So which one was it for you? It'd be worth going back to listen to that week's sermon and pull out the specific challenges that we had. Maybe it was the challenge from Brooke on the week of race relations to meet and listen to and learn from someone different to ourselves. Maybe it was to get involved in our living room program to love and care for the elderly from our week on euthanasia. Maybe it was the challenge to our attitudes and our assumptions on the week on men and women. As we start taking action with one thing, then another, then another, slowly, that's how culture starts to change, isn't it? And if your topic is one of the, the topics that has a working group attached to it, be involved. Be part of the change and a voice calling this whole church to love in action. There's a state election coming. Why don't we have the ideas that have filtered through this series, shaping and forming the way we go to the ballot box. Be involved, be informed, be committed to this city. Put down roots, be involved. That's one way we can live as exiles for the good of this city. Here's another from Jeremiah 29. Get married, have kids, get them married. Be busy growing families. God's family will grow as we raise our children in the faith. This is a really compelling call and how special it is today to stand with the families who are dedicating their kids to raising them up in the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is a, a compelling call and one that we can all get around them in. We can all be supportive of families raising their kids in faith. We've got a buzzing kids ministry just down the hall. It's so exciting to see God giving new life to the littlest members of our church. That's one way his family will grow. Another is as more and more people come to know Jesus, even as adults. 
And again, how exciting it is that next week we will celebrate together the baptism of men and women and children as God pours out new life, his spirit into these people. How exciting that we get to be part of that. City on a Hill, we are a church committed to making Jesus known. Let's be busy growing God's family. That is giving the best thing we have for the good of this city, the good news of Jesus. Jeremiah says in verse 7, Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. God speaking through Jeremiah, pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Do you see that? It's not an accident that we're here. Who has sent us? God has. And God hasn't stopped being deliberate and, and sovereign. He's still putting people in the right place. And so whether you've grown up in Melbourne your whole life, whether you've moved here to settle, whether you're here just for a, a season, a, a short stint of study or, or work, it's not an accident. God has put us here for the good of this city to seek its welfare, to pray, he says, to the Lord on its behalf, to pray for justice and peace between men and women when so much violence is perpetrated across that gender, to pray for refugees to be welcomed and settled and given refuge. To pray for people we might know struggling with their own gender identity, that they would find rest. To pray for the state and nation that free speech remains intact. It's so valuable. Because who else but the churches in this city will rise early and rest late to pray for revival in Melbourne? Who else but the churches in this city will spend today, Sunday, praying for this city? Who else but the churches in this city will have members on trains and buses into the, tra into the city tomorrow praying for their colleagues and classmates? Who else but the churches? We have a role to play in bringing this city before the Lord of Lords and the God of Gods, pleading that he would bring revival in this city. Who else is doing that but us, City on a Hill? Who else but the churches in Melbourne? Tim Keller puts it like this. Here, the citizens of the city of God are called to be the very best residents of this particular city. God commands the Jewish exiles not to attack, despise, or flee the city, but seek its peace. To love the city as they grow in numbers. How do we live now as exiles in this city? We, we put down roots, we be involved, we hold out Jesus, and we pray. That's how we live, as exiles for the good of this city. But the story doesn't stop here and now, does it? Here's my second observation this morning. We are exiles longing for our heavenly home. It is... 51 years since John Lennon released the song, Imagine, you must know it. Put your hands up if you know the song, Imagine, I'm sure we all do. It's his anthem, a dream of a world without violence, without religion, no wars, no heaven and hell. He sings nothing to kill or die for. It's still a, an evocative song, isn't it? It was sung at the opening ceremony of the 2018 Winter Olympics in South Korea uh, and by Gal Gadot, 
and some friends, a little less successfully, you might remember, at the start of COVID. But 50 years on, I wonder if it still resonates with us because it captures a story that still captivates our hearts. The hope that present groanings and disappointments and frustrations will one day be replaced by future resolution. In a political age like ours, politics is one of the tools we have for working for a better future, for working towards that resolution and making life better for the people in our city. But ultimately, all a political party can do or a a political leader can do, however forceful or, or charismatic or creative, all they can do is improve on what's already here. All they can do is nudge the dial one notch, two notches towards a better life. And even then, a war comes that is far outside of their control. Inflation hits hard. That's outside of their control. Floods sweep through a state. That's outside their control. And we're back to square one. We've got to start all over again. Of course, we long for something better and more permanent. The Israelites living in exile in Babylon, they weren't so different, longing for better. And well, they should because God promised them just that. Check this out again from Jeremiah 29, reading from verse 10. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Exile doesn't last forever. God's plan and and purpose for his people is to bring them home and to give them hope. Hope that he will visit them, that he will kickstart the whole thing off, that he will keep his promises and bring them back to his city. And did he keep his promise? Yes, he did. Do you know who he sent back? Ezra and Nehemiah and others to rebuild the city. God keeps his promises. And about two and a half thousand years on from that, God's people are still holding on to very similar promises. Here we are exiles in a foreign city longing like everyone longs for things to get better. And God promises that they will because he will come And he won't tweak what's already here. He won't temporarily improve on life only for Satan or some other foe to sweep in and destroy the work that he has done. No, his promise is to make all things new. His vision for our future is a new city, a new Jerusalem. And this city, this first earth will pass away. And God himself will be in that new city with us. 
There won't be any of the pain and death and groaning and frustration we've felt and we've seen the whole way through, left and right, as we've seen that things in so many ways just aren't right in our world. It's a beautiful picture of a city that God holds out for us. The Apostle John is the one who sees it and shares it. We have the Yarra running through our city, brown and sludgy. Listen to what he has in this vision in Revelation 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Friends, we can all imagine a better world, can't we? And in some ways, we're all working towards it. It's a story that's written on our hearts. We study and we study and then we work and we work. And the goal is to improve life for ourselves. And when we've done that, when we've achieved that, well, then we can start improving life for the ones we're closest to. And if we really work hard and we get lucky, then we might be able to start improving life for those further away. That's usually how the story goes. Maybe that's how your story is going today. As you pursue your vision of the good life. But even if you get there, can it match God's vision? A river of life flowing from the throne of Jesus. A a never-ending source of life, permanent. A tree of life with fruit symbolizing this food supply that will never run out. There is no neediness in heaven. Healing for the nations that are now torn apart by war. We're face to face with God, our, our maker. There's no barrier in that relationship. It will flourish. And the city is bathed in the radiance of the Lord God, brighter than the sun. It's a beautiful vision, isn't it? And how will it come to reality? How will that happen? We need to trust in Jesus. Augustine wrote this. God's son, assuming humanity without destroying his divinity, established and founded this faith that there might be a way for man to man's God through God's man. We can't get the life. We all long for the good life forever without Jesus. If you don't know him, we want you to today. We want you to meet Jesus and discover how amazing he is, how life transformative he is as he gives us meaning and purpose and life. That's why we're all about Jesus sitting on a hill. Look, we work for the good of this city. We do our jobs and we love our neighbors and we play our part. And the greatest good we have to give as exiles in this city, the best we have, Christians, is the gospel of Jesus. He is the good news for now and he will keep his promise forever. Augustine knew the the beauty of this truth that human cities 
rise and fall. So do empires. They come and they go on the tides of history. But this city that Jesus promises, this city will rise and never fall. And it is good. Amen? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you call us to know you, Jesus. That is our our purpose, not just as this church, but as humanity, to know Jesus and to make you known. Lord Jesus, we pray that even today you would deepen our knowledge of you, not head knowledge, Lord, but deep love for you as we grow to know the depth of your promises and the depth of the life that you give us. Lord, I pray that you would help us to know you, even for those of us who don't yet know you, would today be the start of a beautiful, flourishing relationship with you. And Lord, I pray that as a church, you would help us to make you known, Lord Jesus. Would we be a city on a hill, a beacon of light in this city, offering good, the greatest good that we have, the gospel of Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. We've got some Q&A Let's to do. do. Let's wrap up 11 weeks. <laughs> All right. Oh, straight into oh, it. Here we are. Oh, what a great around. question. All right. That's a great question. Question one. Here we go. If you could have had Jesus come and be a guest preacher during this series, what topic would you have wanted to allocate to him? That is an excellent question. Start with you, Ben. Come on, we can all have a shot. Let's go. I would have given him this week, actually, City of God. <laughs> He's the one who's going to bring this new city yeah, into good, being. Good. I would have loved to hear him casting that vision for us and, and just drawing and wooing our hearts uh, with the vision of that city. Wooing. Mm. Wooing. Oh, so, so many, right? <laughs> Amazing. Um, oh, look, I mean, I think just transgenderism and transgender rights um, seems so kind of pressing for us as a society. Uh, and in many ways, it's, it's a new realm as we've developed mm. as a society over the last couple of years in terms of the place of, of, uh, of uh, gender identity in our identity as a whole. And so, yeah, love, love to hear Jesus uh, speak on that one. Uh, just for fun, pro-life, pro-choice would have been... <laughs> would have been fun. Uh, I, I like where you, you, you land, Ben, because like I'm thinking bookended would have been awesome, mm. set us up well, but actually clean up our mess at the end. <laughs> <laughs> would have been really fun. Great question. That's a good question. All right, moving on to our next one. In just a moment... I'd love the conversation between you and Jesus, Guy. You're allocating Jesus, the sermon that he's going to preach. You're in charge. Do you give him a passage? I don't know. Anyway, (laughs) um, the church feels afraid right now, scared as our place in society changes. How do we ensure we're living out of hope and not fear? Another good question. Great question. well, I think the same thing uh, that has held the church uh, together, the knowledge that actually Jesus is the head of our church. Mm. He always has been. He always will be. Uh, we stand right now uh, in this time of history, seeking to do what Christians have done throughout the ages, holding out the word of life and holding firm in Jesus. You know, we worship a king, a Messiah, who was crucified by the world. He was, uh, uh, he was rejected. He was despised. People misunderstood him. And not only misunderstood, but people claimed that he was lying. He was a blasphemer. And yet, uh, the church still stands. You know, why is that? Well, because Christ didn't remain in the grave. He rose. He rose from the grave. We actually have a living mm. king, a living 
Messiah. And I know that things, it does seem that our society is, is changing, but our God is constant, isn't he? He's never going to stop being at work. And, and it was incredible, actually, uh, last week to see, mm. you know, in, in midst of the, uh, the narrative of pressure out there and, you know, Premier putting some pointed words our way, uh, there were men and women who came to join us for the first time who aren't Christian, who weren't Christian, to say, hey, like, I've, I've just heard you guys on the, the news, interested to see who you guys were and, um, you know, tell me, tell me more about what you believe. There were multiple of those conversations. Uh, God is at work. He always will be, and he'll continue to be. Uh, and as head of our church, he's the one who will hold us together until the day uh, of his return. So how do we ensure we're living out of hope? I think keep doing what we're doing. Meeting, gathering, fixing our eyes of Jesus, reminding us of God's faithfulness, his goodness, uh, and the sovereignty of Jesus in whom uh, all things were created and uh, in, him, in whom all things hold together. Amen. Yeah, I mean, and only just to add on that and build on that, maybe while we're getting the next question up is, you know, how we, we see in the scriptures, don't we, time and time again, and through church history, how God uses times of challenge for his good. I mean, time and time again, we're reminded what man intends for evil, God mm-hmm. intends for good. Uh, even you think about Jerusalem in Acts when, you know, persecution came. And we're not in those particular, that level of persecution. We're not going to exaggerate it too far. But, you know, the church is scattered and maybe they did feel afraid. Maybe they were unsure. And yet time and time again, God used that so that the gospel would go forward. Um, the Bible reminds us, doesn't it, time and time again, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that you're going through, knowing that God uses that. And how does he use it? Well, one, it's so that the gospel goes out, but also that it would refine us. You know, as I just shared before, I, I've, I've felt it in myself. I've seen it with other believers who's like, wow, this is really serious. This is legit. I'm, I'm actually got to make a choice here of where I stand. What a great thing it is when we, we come before God in dependence upon him and choose him. I think that's what moments like this could be. We should not be afraid. Um, we should stand in the hope that we have in Christ, knowing that uh, we're secure in him. Great answers. Very helpful. All right, going to our next question. What is City on a Hill's view of the LGBTQIA plus community? And how do you plan to support and empower believers from the community under God? Guy just pointed to me. Wow, thanks, Guy. <laughs> uh, love. What is Kill's view on the LGBTIQ plus, a plus community? Uh, love. I'm welcome. Uh, I don't think, Guy, you were being disingenuous when you said consistently over the last couple of weeks, our doors are open. We love all people because God has made everyone in his image. Uh, Yes, we've all got different questions and and different struggles in our life and and different questions about who we are, but we all as humans are made in the image of God. If that's how God views his creation, then we as his people should absolutely view his creation likewise. So the first thing, uh, the first view, the first approach, the first attitude is, is love and welcome here, isn't it? Yeah, it's very, very helpful. And obviously, so very topical and so complex to answer this, I think, because sometimes the question comes from a position which is trying to answer a political conversation. Uh, what do we think about this particular legislation? What about the, we think about these demands in this, you know, and, and we can talk it at that level. And then, of course, there is the, the personal level uh, that's really, really important and, and sometimes quite distinct. And so knowing who we're talking to is really, really important. One of the things I love about Jesus is his ability to speak truth and hold conviction and to hold up God's word while at the same time to love people. 
And I think we've talked a lot about that, this importance of Christ-like conviction and Christ-like compassion. Um, that's where I think this, this question is really, really important, and churches can sometimes waver either way. Uh, we want to hold up the Bible. We want to hold up what the Bible says about gender and what the Bible says about sexuality and what the Bible says about marriage. We want to be faithful to those things just because culture might be going one way doesn't mean we follow culture. We want to be anchored in the Word. And it's this same Word that has this conviction that also shows us and calls us and indeed compels us to love. Uh, I think that's what's special about the Christian community. Um, We don't want to do that from a distance. So I think what's always best when talking to someone who might be um, LGBTQI+, uh, wherever they fit in that, and just recognize that that's a very broad label these days, and even the, the different letters don't necessarily get along with each other in those categories anymore, but we want to understand people personally uh, and understand their story. And last thing on this is, is to remember that our goal in life is not just to pinpoint particular morality, but when talking with unbelievers to help point them to Jesus. Uh, I think that's what's most important for us in that space. All right. Thank you. Here we go. Next question. Do you think we really are that distinctive as a contrast community? We commute, consume, share the same idols and values in so many, many ways. How might we really move forward as a city of God? Good question. Yeah, great question. Um, I I think, I hope uh, that we are distinctive as a community. I mean, the very act of gathering this morning, uh, that's distinct, isn't it? Mm. Um, that we would, you know, carve off this time every week to come together with people who, um, other than Jesus, often we won't have a lot in common with. We are a diverse, com- diverse community, and that's the picture of the family of God, isn't it? That we would gather with people of, of, who are old and who are young and different ethnicities, backgrounds, um, uh, different personalities, but all united in our one King and Saviour who has grafted us together as a people of God around his word to worship him. That itself, countercultural. So I praise God for this gathering and the testimony that it is in our world right now. I also think that, you know, we do see from scripture that we're called to be in the world and not of it. We are in the world. We function in the world, in our workplaces and schools and communities and neighborhoods. Um, Just like the picture of Jeremiah, you know, we 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 have roots here (laughs) in our city and that's a good thing. And so our challenge is to shine the light in those spaces. What does that look like? Well, on a personal level, I mean, I have been incredibly helped and challenged by this series uh, to take a more active responsibility uh, in so many different areas in the way that I think and care about the environment and my regular rhythms uh, of, um, of, yeah, how I think about using (laughs) the resources of this world. Um, I've also been really challenged personally to take uh, more of an active uh, role in pursuing reconciliation and friendship with our Indigenous uh, brothers and sisters and neighbours. So I would hope that um, there are many ways in which following these 10 weeks that our church, both individuals as gospel communities and as a church, you know, we're just looking into our, our, we've spoken into our working groups, are looking different than we did 10 weeks ago. And perhaps it is a matter of you know, taking time this week to sit down and, and to ask God, how, how would you have me change? How would you, my behaviour, my attitudes, my heart, my posture, uh, how would that be different? Um, and I do think we saw this last week. I mean, I love the way that our society in um, cultural wars, they want to uh, have a war. <laughs> Twitter wars, um, anger, uh, 
reactionary behaviours. But I love that last week as we gathered, you know, and some journos gathered with us because God's warmth and welcome is for them also, that, um, that we responded uh, to visitors the way that we would anyone else. We engage with them and meet and greet. We offer cupcakes. We, um, we welcome and warmth. And so I think in a, in a, a society of um, reactionary behaviour and culture wars, actually just living out the warmth, the welcome, uh, the peace of Jesus Christ is, uh, is countercultural. Thank you, Steph. Um, helpful uh, to hear that. I think what, what comes to mind when I hear how might we really move forward as a city uh, of God, regardless of kind of where we are on that journey, I think one of the things you hear from Christ often is repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. So the kingdom of God is at hand, and we've heard about that kingdom today. That's the kingdom that's breaking through. That's the kingdom we're called to, to be. Uh, and, and, and what precedes that is that call to repentance. Uh, repentance can seem like quite an ancient word today for a lot of us, a little bit distant. But fundamentally, it's a call to turn away from the idols of our age and to entrust ourselves to God. So more than anything else, uh, I think that's a call for us. If you're feeling that, you're like, man, we could be so much more, great, don't let that go. Press into that. Say, yes, we can be so much more. And that is not something we're going to manufacture in this moment. Uh, It's about humble dependence. It says, Lord, help us be the people you want us to be. I would just add the footnote on that is just recognize that Christians throughout time have always wrestled in that process of sanctification, right? So we're not a perfect people. And maybe you're here and you look around and like, ah, we're just like everybody else. And that discourages me. So what's the point? Recognize that that's been a struggle of God's people. When Paul's writing to Corinthians, he's like pulling out his hair because they're just still stumbling in the same sins. So there is a tension. You're loved. You're secure in Christ. We are the body of Christ. We are the city on a hill, right? The kingdom of God is coming and yet we will stumble forward towards that. But only that stumbling happens through the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, hence why we need to be repenting and depending upon Him every step. There we are. That's good. Two responses and a footnote. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Maybe on to our... um, Oh, that was our last question and seems like a very good note on which to end things. Um, We are going to have communion in just a moment, celebrate our unity as the church, a chance for us to really reflect on the goodness of Christ um, and all that he has done for us. Um, But I might just quickly pray before we do that. Father, we just thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you that he is our king. Uh, Thank you that, as we've talked about today, we are secure and safe in his hands. Um, And Lord, I just pray that as we wait for that full, renewed city, Father, I pray that you would help us to live well in this current city. Help us to be people of conviction and compassion. Help us to live in hope and not fear. Help us to cling tightly to your word and the promises that you tell us are true, that we might be distinct, that we might look different, uh, that people might see that you are God and you are good. We pray all this for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, Or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.